This is the Rundown. The Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studios for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher, the bear behind the glass. Bear, you've been there for a while. How are you doing today? I'm a lot better now since... You were talking about the Mandalorian. <laughs> well, you know, it's, Burns and Gambo. Let's just continue it. Obviously, that's where we have to start the show. Um, I'm three episodes in. I told our boy Max Starks finally I would I would watch it on his recommend. It wasn't even really a recommendation. He basically told me he would stop talking to me if I didn't watch it. <laughs> he threatened you with end of friendship. Yes, I mean he's done it on the air before too. So I finally, after two years, watched it. I'm three episodes in, so I don't really know anything that's about to happen. But it's not bad. Three episodes in. I, that's okay. I always kind of, not always like getting into TV shows like after they've been established for a while, but I always like having something to binge yes. a good show like that. So you're, you're, there's two seasons, so you got a few episodes is to this, catch up on. Is this one of those situations where you're a big enough fan where you're secretly kind of jealous of me that I haven't seen the episodes and I'm going to start watching it? A little. I mean, okay. I can always go back and watch them, well, but, but you've seen But them. I don't, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, it's actually, like it's like when you told someone, "Man, you really want to watch Game of Thrones." I haven't and, seen that. Uh, okay, well then it'd be the same thing. I'd be jealous of you starting to watch it because it's such a good show until the last season, which is total garbage. But yes, I've seen the last two episodes of it. So well, no. <laughs> that, normally that would be like, a, okay, then don't watch it because you know how it ends. But yeah. the ending is so terrible that it's, it doesn't that matter. You can just stop. At season eight, and you'll be fine. Well, the ending, I did that with Entourage. I never watched the last episode. That was a good show, but I never watched the final episode because everybody has told me how much they hated it. And I was like, well, I haven't seen the last episode, so I have a higher view of the show now. Uh, Something that didn't have a bad ending, the Phoenix Suns winning last night. Now six of their last seven. Sure, it was Cleveland, although to be fair, Cleveland's not as bad as you think Cleveland is. They're not great, but they're not. They're oddly constructed. I mean, they have Andre Drummond, who's been amazing, and then they go out there and just bring in Jared Allen for I'm not really sure what reason. They're going to have to trade one of them at some point. But we saw both of them on the floor last night at times. And, um, you know, look, the Sun's very shorthanded, and they find a way to win. 14-9 and nine now this season, three straight wins, six of their last seven, like I said. It, now it's feeling different from last year. You know, last season they started off relatively strong the first few games. I mean, the, the beginning of last season, I know it feels like it was 150 years ago, and honestly, it might might have been 150 years ago. I can't scientifically prove that it wasn't. But they started last season 5-2, and two, and we felt good about them because they were doing a lot of it without DeAndre Ayton. Remember, he was suspended, you know what, the game into the season. But then they started to lose, and they never really recovered. You know, you go, this is last year. You go 5-2, and two, and then it's like 7-4, and four, and you're 7-7, and seven, and you're 8-10, and 10, and all you're 11-20. And, and they never recovered until the bubble. Uh, we're going to talk to John Bloom in a little bit, too, and get his thoughts. I, I, I really do. I know I'm not the only one that thinks this, but I have felt this for a while now. That bubble experience changed this team. The guys that have been on this team now for a couple years, it's just, it's different. It really is. But uh, so you, know, you had that last year. Now this season, Suns start off five and two, and then you kind of start in the slump, and you're eight and eight, and they've they've broken out of it. Now fourteen and nine. This stretch, these last seven games, this is what wasn't there last season, and they look better too. I mean, even when they were eight and eight, 
we were having those conversations. You know, she panic about this team? Are we are we worried? Nah, I mean they they look good. It's taken a little while. Chris Paul, it takes teams a while to adjust to him, but when you do, it pays off. I remember looking it up on the air one night. Oklahoma City last year, not nearly as talented as the Suns, but finished tied for fourth in the Western Conference, and they started five and ten. Chris Paul's first year there and made the playoffs. So you could be optimistic that they were going to do this, but also it's been 10 years since they made the playoffs, so we did need to see them do it. They're doing it now. Six of seven, 14 and nine. You got Giannis coming to town tomorrow. You've got Philadelphia here Saturday. You've got Brooklyn a week from tonight. And the thing is, I know this is a, this is a tough stretch of games. This team plays better against the better teams. That's why, in a weird way, that win over Detroit on Friday was it was it was encouraging. It was a relief. You don't want to go zero and two against a team like the Pistons, just for like morale, for fan morale, even if the players aren't going to be rattled by it. But uh, but not last night a nice win. Devin Booker goes off thirty six points. We'll get more into the Suns' win uh, certainly throughout the show. They are climbing back up the Western Conference standings. They're right. They're right at the top of that. Second tier, that top tier right now is Utah and the two L.A. teams. Uh, I think realistically by the end of the season, that top tier is just going to be the two L.A. teams, and Utah may be in a, in a second tier all their own, and maybe the Suns are the leaders of the third tier, whatever. It's a lot better to be talking about this than, well, what sort of draft position are they going to have in six months? All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Well, we've got another team in the Valley winning games, too. How about the Coyotes? Three straight, all over St. Louis, and their reward is three more games against St. Louis. Congratulations! <laughs> if, you're, if you're the Blues, I don't know what you're thinking at this point, because three games ago, St. Louis was 7-2-1. and one, one of the best records in hockey. They just won the Stanley Cup two years ago. They finally lose a game, and their punishment is they just have to play the Coyotes seven straight times. And honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if they try and fit that eighth one in there somewhere. Otherwise, you just have a game against St. Louis later on this season where the Blues have to travel out here. I don't know if the schedule allows it because the schedule changes every 20 seconds in the NHL right now. But either way, seven straight against St. Louis. Coyotes tie it with less than a second to go last night, win it in the shootout, made this comment last night on Twitter. For the longest time watching the Coyotes, they're the team that loses on the buzzer beaters. Even all the way back in 2012 when they went to the Western Conference Final, they lost in the the final three or four seconds to Dallas a couple times or they would lose a lead and then lose in overtime or whatever. Them winning in the the closing seconds of a game is, this is all uncharted territory, which is probably a pretty good sign for them going forward. And that's not an exaggeration that it was a buzzer beater last night. The end of the game horn went off the same time the puck went in. But the Coyotes have won three in a row, and yes, now they have a game on Friday and Saturday and Monday against the St. Louis Blues. Cardinals, Patrick Peterson, and says it's uh, it's news to him that he has decided to part ways with the Cardinals. That rumor was out there, and uh, this is his response. Um, honestly, there, there is no real update, and it is just what you said it was, a dirty rumor. Um, I woke up to it this morning as well, you know, so, um, you know, me and the team haven't talked anything about contracts. They haven't talked any, any, uh, about parting ways. When you heard the news, granted, you, like you said, you knew uh, there was no uh, uh, realness to that. 
uh, what was going through your mind? Like, did you want to talk to your agent or you wanted to figure out exactly where is this coming from? What was the, like the first thing, the first few things you decided to do? Uh, honestly, it just went over my head. And like I said, it was a, it was a dirty rumor. So, um, you know, the things that they were saying in, in the report, I knew wasn't true. So that's why mm -hmm. me and my team didn't, you know, didn't budge on, you know, moving forward with it. Yeah. Well, in the next, next few free agent, we haven't even started yet. Just got over with yesterday. <laughs> hey, that's that's what I that's why I, that's why I had to hit your phone. I'm like, what am I missing? I mean, I guess I guess he was trying to steal some headlines from Tom Brady. No man, I can't do that from the goat, man. No. That's Patrick Peterson on his All Things Covered podcast. That of course he started this season, and um, it, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for him and the Cardinals already. A day after the Super Bowl, when they were talking right there, when that rumor came out, it, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for them to be like, all right, Super Bowl's over, I'm out of here. The Patrick Peterson thing, I know it's not as polarizing as DeAndre Ayton is the Suns fans, but it is pretty polarizing to Cardinals fans. There is a, a section of Cardinals fans that's like, man, we can't let him go. Who are you going to get? And then there's a section of Cardinals fans that's like, get him out of here. I think the truth, as usual probably lies closer to the middle, but this is my rule with, with Patrick Peterson. If you compare him to prime Patrick Peterson, like if you're comparing 2020, 2019 Patrick Peterson to 2014, 15, 16, well then yeah, you're going to be like, this guy is falling apart, like, get rid of him. Compare him to the other cornerbacks that are going to be available. So not even just the other corners in the league. Like you can't be like, well, okay, maybe I'm not asking him to be prime Patrick Peterson, but he should still be a top five cornerback. How about just comparing to the other guys that are available? And it's not so easy to just say, yeah, get rid of this guy. Because you got a lot of holes you need to fill and a lot of question marks on defense with a lot of guys that might be leaving. I'm just saying if you're going to let Patrick Peterson go, have a plan in place. Don't be like, well, we'll let him go and then we'll, I'm sure we'll find somebody. You better have a very specific name and a pretty good indication you're going to be able to get that guy. Because I don't know if you can just draft a corner with the 16th overall pick in this draft and expect him to contribute significantly right away. And I got news for you. The leash is pretty short for some of these guys with this Cardinals team if they don't make the playoffs this year. Uh, finally, ASU basketball. Got a little clarity on what's been going on with them in this recent stretch of postponed games. Bobby Hurley was on our own Doug and Wolf show this morning, and he explained. Yeah, we, we had three cases, so, uh, you know, with, with that uh, and then contact tracing. Actually, when I was on the call with you guys, that, that process was just beginning, you know, with our doctors. So, um, you know, luckily we had a small group that we were able to work with on Friday. And then Saturday, um, and then uh, we had our first full practice yesterday. So everyone uh, has returned, minus you know the three cases, and and none of those guys uh, were, were symptomatic. So it sounds like, at least now on Tuesday evening, the Sun Devils are still in line to play Oregon on Thursday. And ASU basketball has just missed so many games this season, and it's not anybody's fault. It's just the way this season has played out. They've missed games because other teams couldn't play, and they've obviously missed games because they couldn't play. They got to go on a run to close out the season if they want to be playing uh, in March Madness. And certainly, they are a talented enough team to be playing in March Madness. All right, coming up. Last night's game had a familiar feel, but the impact was completely new. We'll get into that next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown. 
98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. With the injuries the Suns are dealing with, Devin Booker had to step up and kind of have a vintage Devin Booker game last night. And he did. Which I think we all expected. I also, you know, you look at the, the way the first third of the season has gone, which it is crazy to think. I mean, now what, 23 games into a 72 game? You're basically a third of the way there, almost. You play uh, play tomorrow against Milwaukee, and you are a third of the way through the regular season. I almost feel like we need to kind of step back and say there aren't a whole lot of games where it's like, oh, you, got, you definitely should win this one, or oh, you definitely don't have a chance in this one. Because last night, had they lost to Cleveland, like it's a game you need to find a way to win. But had they lost, they missing five guys, you know, <laughs> this just the way that the this schedule is played out, where games change and your every team is missing a couple guys, you may just catch a bad team, but they have all their players that night, and you're missing three or four guys. So we got to be a little lenient with that as long as the overall record is good, and it is right now for the Phoenix Suns, 14-9. and nine. The other thing about this team is they've got Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Orlando, Brooklyn coming up on the rest of this homestand, and that should on paper be like 1-3, and 2-2. Two and two. I don't think so. I'm basically as confident against Milwaukee as I am against Cleveland right now with this Suns team. They play up to their competition. Do they play down to their competition? Yeah, they do. But they also play up to their competition. It depends if you got everybody out there. I mean, last night they had to play without Chris Paul, and you can get away with that against Cleveland. You can't necessarily get away with it against Philadelphia or Brooklyn or maybe even Milwaukee. Uh, Part of the win last night, yeah, I think we all knew going in, this was going to be the sort of game where Booker had to take over, which is something he's done year after year after year for the Suns. And sometimes it leads to a win. Oftentimes it hasn't in the past. But either way, even when it was a win, it was just kind of like, okay, cool. Like, that's great. Like, look how good Devin Booker is and got the Suns winning a game. That's awesome. But they've won three of their last 14. Last night it was like, hey, Book, you're going to have to step up because Chris Paul's not out there. Dario Saric, campaign, and all these different guys that aren't playing. But if you win the game, it's significant. Every Suns win now is significant in the standings. Devin Booker, after the game, was asked if he changed how he approached the game last night, knowing no, uh, no CP3. Yeah, it always does. And that's with any player. You know, you just have to make adjustments. I knew I was going to have the ball in my hands a lot more this game. And I want to take on that facilitating role. Still try and find places to be aggressive, but make sure I'm getting everybody involved the way Chris does when he's in. Uh, Monty Williams talking about Devin Booker once again. It wasn't just the 36 points and the eight assists. It was hitting big shots. We saw him hit a huge one the other day, and he hit another one last night. I've said it a number of times. You know, his willingness to take big shots is something that I value. And um, he just... He's one of those guys who is willing to deal with the consequences of making or missing. Got to have guys like that on your team. And the last few years, I'm sure, have been rough for Booker on a certain level. I mean, he's living a pretty good life, but rough on a certain level, playing as well as he has and never even getting close to the playoffs. And I know they've been tough on Suns fans, but when you you add up all that frustration and experience – 
and disappointment, but also skill and talent with Booker. And now you put him in this position where it's like, all right, not only are you in a position to make the playoffs this season, for the most part, you still get to play your game. I know it's changed a little bit with Chris Paul here, but ideally changing for the better. You get to do it with the team that, that drafted you. Like It's not like he went off to some super team and now he has a chance at success. This is his team still. And last night kind of felt like that. It was just like, all right, they need Booker to take over. It, to be fair, it wasn't just him. I mean, we can't talk about that game without the fact that, uh, that Etwan Moore played 40 minutes. He played more than anybody else. And contributed, too. It wasn't like he was just out there running in circles for 40 minutes. But it was just it was a game that when Booker had to take over, Booker did take over. Here's DeAndre Ayton talking about Booker's performance. Man, Devin, he, he just know. I think it's the fans. The fans back. That's what it really is. The fans, you know what I'm saying? They, it's that energy. I'm telling you, it's that energy that we're feeling in there. But no, on a serious note, Devin is locked in, man. And, you know, him taking that approach to the game today on, you know, knowing that we don't have CP today, he he took advantage of that to know that, like, yo, it's on me now. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, he got us ready, you know, making sure we're ready for the game and ready to play and knowing that I got a rebound, we got to play defense. You know, we know that these dudes is going to come down here and play hard and rebound the ball, but he just, you know, we did our thing on our offensive end, and we executed everything, and he hit some big shots. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's what D-Buck do, and, you know, we're just happy that we executed everything Coach told us today. Yeah, that is what he does, but in years past, like I said, when Booker would have a game like this and kind of take over and they would win, the feeling in the moment, it's great. It's just, you know, it's Devin Booker going off and the Suns getting a win, but afterwards it was always like, hey, why uh, – you know, that doesn't really impact the standings. Why don't people give Booker more credit nationally? And why are more people paying attention to the Suns? And then the pushback was like, well, they're 8-23. and 23. That's not it anymore. Now Booker has a performance like that, and you're up into fourth place in the Western Conference. And those top three teams aren't like out of striking distance. It's just, it's a performance like that this season is a reminder of like, oh wait, okay, all, all of these games for the Suns matter this season. And it's not a situation where it's like, well, yeah, they're playing less games, of course. They're playing 10 less games. <laughs> it's not like they're playing half a season. They're playing 72 games. If the Suns weren't good, all these games wouldn't matter. They're a good team now. And it was it was just cool to see Devin Booker leading the way last night. He's done it before, but now, now these games matter more. All right, let's go over to the NFL here for a few minutes. Let's start with Kyler Murray retweeting uh, Jim Nagy, who had tweeted out, well, this was yesterday, it was yesterday evening. Uh, Jim Nagy, the executive director of Reese's Senior Bowl, is also an ESPN NFL draft analyst, and he tweeted out, QB position aside, if you want your team to win a Super Bowl, then you want them to draft offensive line or defensive line in the early rounds in April. Might not be as much fun on draft weekend, but it wins championships. All right, you know, big deal. People tweet stuff like this. But Kyler Murray retweeted it. And so you can't you can't just look away and be like, oh, I'm sure Kyler Murray's um just accidentally hit it. Or he's just he's on one of his retweet sprees. Kyler Murray doesn't have a ton of those. And also if you're Kyler Murray, you know when you tweet something or when you retweet something it's going to get a response, or people are going to notice. There's there's no way he doesn't. Kyler Murray's got 287,000 Twitter followers. Number one pick in the draft two years ago. He's starting quarterback on an NFL team. He's a good starting quarterback. 
He was getting MVP buzz the first five, six games of this season. He knows when he retweets something, it's going to get a reaction from people. He also retweeted a pro football focus draft. Just a sort of a commentary on how good Tampa Bay offensive lineman Tristan Wirfs, who's a rookie, was this season. So it, it sort of feels like Kyler Murray wants some offensive line help. Now, Kyler Murray takes care of his offensive line. Like, there's not, it's not like some bad relationship between him and his O line. But, I, and I don't think he's the only quarterback in the NFL that's like, hey, how about instead of using that draft pick on a cornerback, you go out there and help protect me through 16 games. I don't think he's the only quarterback that feels that way. But just an interesting thought, because there are so many different ways the Cardinals could go with the 16th pick in this draft. Because they need a lot of things. That uh, offensive line, it's not like I haven't seen it projected to the Cardinals in any mock drafts. And again, we have that mock draft tracker on ArizonaSports.com. Does a great job of just comprehensively putting all of the all of the mock drafts out there. You don't have to go through all of them. You don't have to sift through all the other teams' picks. It will just show you who the Cardinals are projected. A lot of them projecting them to take a corner right now. Uh, offensive line is in there, but they they have a lot of needs. Along those lines of having a lot of needs, I'll take you over to ESPN.com's uh, article on the top fifty free agents this off season and their best team fits. So, you know, the Cardinals have a lot of needs. ESPN goes through their top 50. And just to give you like a, I guess, a reference point, Dak is their number one. Um, Trent Williams, offensive tackle, number two. Patrick Peterson is 31. Hassan Reddick is 24. Those are the two Cardinals on the lists. And they have them going. They have Reddick, best fit with Denver. Peterson, best fit with the Raiders. 50 players, 50 free agents this offseason. In an offseason where the Cardinals need to be in win-now mode, and need to fill some holes, not one of them on this list do they have their best fit being the Arizona Cardinals. That That's just kind of crazy. Doesn't mean the Cardinals aren't going to sign anybody this offseason. It's, like, it's not like Steve Kimes going to be like, oh, we were going to get, uh, yeah, we were going to add Allen Robinson, but it says here on this ESPN list that his best fit is with Washington, so I guess we're out. Not that, but it is just kind of, People realize the Cardinals are in win-now mode, right? They have to be. I know uh, what the Ringer has their rankings. We'll maybe get into this later on in the show. They had the Cardinals and their power rankings at 16. We talked about the, the early Super Bowl odds for next year. The Cardinals were 18th in that. But like the, the Rams, the Seahawks, the 49ers are all top 10. I get that the Cardinals are in a brutal division. But if you think... Cliff Kingsbury is going to be the coach of this team going into 2022 if they miss the playoffs in 2021. We need to have a conversation. I think this is absolutely... I, I, thought it was, I thought it was premature for people to be like, Cliff's out of here. He's got to be out. They missed the playoffs in their second year. There's some merit to the frustration and maybe some concern that the Cardinals have, are hitting their ceiling with him, but I also think we just don't know yet. But he better make the playoffs next year, which means Steve Keim and that front office are going to have to be real active uh, this offseason. All right, we come back. We're going to get back into the Suns. We'll talk to John Bloom and get his thoughts on what he's seen from this team in the first 23 games of the season, what he expects the rest of this homestand against some quality opposition. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. This is the Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. 
Nice win for the Phoenix Suns last night. 119-113 over kind of an under-the-radar scrappy Cleveland team. Suns now 14-9 on the year. We are joined on the Culture Automotive Group Sports Line. It's one of my favorite guests. John Bloom is on the line. Bloomer, how are you doing tonight? Luke, I'm fantastic. Good to be with you, my man. Uh, and uh, when both teams, uh, you know, that are in the season right now are on win streaks. I know. Like, who would have ever thunk it? The only difference is I don't think the Suns are playing Cleveland seven times in a row. That's about yeah, it. Then it would be a little bit like uh, the Globetrotters, Washington General situation, which actually it's starting to feel like with the Coyotes and the Blues. Maybe they could take this on the road and just beat them in every city in the NHL. Well, who knows? I, mean, I wouldn't rule anything out at this point with the, with the way sports are this year. Um, let's let's start with uh, – I, I want to go a little, little – everybody talks about Aiton and Booker and Chris Paul. Who through the first 23 games has been your unsung hero of this team? Mikel Bridges. Didn't even take me a, a lot to think of that, did it? Uh, I just heard you mention, you know, Aiden, Booker, Chris Paul. Those are the guys that I think everybody would consider the big three uh, for this team if you had to pick a big three. But uh, I don't think you can leave Mikel Bridges much uh, further out of that conversation. He's trying to fight his way into that big three, and he's playing – at a very high level. I know he went through a stretch where he just could not hit a three. Uh, he had like four games of an over in a row, or maybe three overs in a row, and that was uh, tough. That was almost like the universe writing itself, though, because he was so hot early, uh, shooting 50% from downtown. And now the stroke's coming back, so it's encouraging that it, you know it's not gone and uh, forever. Uh, but that was only one facet, you know, the fact that he was able to hit the threes early. I think we all expect him to play defense at a high level, and he still is, even though the steal number is down this season. Uh, he's still bothering people and, and doing a lot of things that don't show up in the box score on that side. So that's my guy as far as, uh, you know, the most impressive. But there are several candidates. I mean, uh, there are guys that have just had small stretches. But that's been helpful because there's been so many changes in and out of this lineup. Something we knew going into the season was going to happen, and you heard Monty Williams and his staff and the the players even talk about it in the beginning of this season. And so everybody was kind of ready for it. doesn't mean that uh, you're going to be able to weather the storm well when you're uh, prepared for the storm, but uh, it seems like so far they're being able to. I mean, just the fact that they're able to go out there with five guys out of the rotation that are normal rotation guys and win is uh, impressive like they did last night. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess sort of building on that, Etwan Moore is one of those guys. He hadn't played more than 24 minutes until last night. Last night he just plays 40, plays more than everybody else, puts up 17 points. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but at a very low impact position of point guard, you know, you don't really change the game when you have the ball in your hands. No, I know Devin Booker carried the ball in his hands a lot last night and obviously did wonderful things with it as well. But Etwan Moore was fantastic. 40 minutes uh, to have the efficiency he had. He made seven of his 10 shots. Uh, and so he, he wasn't taking a ton of shots, but when he did, he knocked them down. Uh, and he had a few assists, and and he was playing good defense, too. So uh, I think that's why Monty had him out there that long. You know, we were wondering, we're going to see a lot more minutes from Javon Carter, who has uh, fallen out of the rotation a little bit lately, uh, but still feel like he'll play a role on this team. And that's the thing. Like, Luke, I I remember telling you about this, and we we had a conversation about this, I think maybe even a few years ago. Uh, But when it comes to, like, the great coaches, one thing I learned about them is, 
for some reason, like they're all able to hit the, the same button. And that is a button that makes everybody on that bench feel like they're engaged, feel like they're going to, if they're not going to play a role at that moment in time, at some point they're going to be called on. And so they all stay ready. And I feel like Monty Williams has made it a point to follow suit with guys like Greg Popovich and other coaches he's learned from along the way who have definitely done that with their teams. And it's a calling card of the Spurs uh, and why they've been so successful. And for crying out loud, they've got 14 wins again. I don't even know how they're doing it. Uh, and I don't want to get to that uh, on this show because we only have a limited amount of time. Let's focus on Suns basketball. But I had to throw that out there. Uh, I do think Monty Williams has borrowed that, though. And I think everybody up and down this lineup from 1 through 15 feels engaged uh, and, and involved and is making uh, a difference with this team, with this culture, uh, and with this fan base. That's, that's a really unique thing, and uh, it's part of the reason why I'm so optimistic about this group. Talking to John Bloom, and, and yeah, Bloomer, it's a great point. I think a lot of the excitement for me that, that is there this season really started when they hired Monty Williams before last season. And you have that consistency from one year to the next, which is, I think, big with almost any coach, but especially with him. Along those lines, how big do you think that experience in the bubble, going 8-0, but more than that, just you know, being together in that environment, how much do you think that has carried over to this year? I think it was big uh, in a variety of, of ways. So one way is uh, if you want to specifically look at the growth of individuals, I would put Cam and Mikel at the top of that list with what the jump they were able to take, uh, the added wrinkles to their offensive game, uh, the strengths, uh, which both of them seem to add in that break between March and then when they went to the bubble in August. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, th- from an individual standpoint, I would definitely say those two. And I'd also put Dario in that uh, category because he made such a huge impact for the Suns in the bubble and I can't wait to have him back and and see him do the same for this team moving forward it's part of what I think is so impressive that they've been able to accomplish this without him because I do think he is an impact player for this team Uh, so those are the guys that I would point out the next thing I would say about the bubble and what it did uh, was it solidified the trajectory this team is on uh, you know for the outsiders for the people around the NBA that were looking in at the Suns and saying, where's this team going? What's, the, what, what's their identity? What's their future like? They started to realize, you know what, maybe they are ready to take a step. And one of the biggest impacts that had was convincing a certain point God that he should take that step and engineer a trade to make it here to the Valley and help this team, you know, start to really uh, turn that corner. So I I think it's all those things that you heard Jay Crowder talk about the impressions, uh, the sons in the bubble left on him and why he wanted to come join this group. Obviously Chris Paul coming here first made, uh, made that decision even easier for Crowder, but I do think the bubble was a big role in that. Well, how about with Chris Paul? I mean, I know so much focus was on what can he do for DeAndre Ayton, and we've seen there's there's been an obvious impact on DeAndre Ayton, but what have you seen as far as, as Chris Paul's impact on some of the other guys on this team? Yeah, I think it's uh, – okay, let, let's start with uh, his backcourt mate, Devin Booker, who I love uh, You know, listening to him talk about the relationship because it's uh, it's it, it, you can see Chris Paul's fingerprints – 
on the words that Devin Booker's using, if that makes any sense. Um, I can, I can, you know, he, he's a sponge. Devin Booker is, we remember this back when Earl Watson was the coach and Earl Watson would have his way of preaching. And then you'd hear it come out in Devin Booker. And, and at that time, obviously it wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, having the same impact in wins and losses, but I think it had an impact in his growth and his maturity in the league. Uh, now I think Chris Paul is instilling this, um, you know, discipline, this accountability, all these different things that maybe Booker had a little bit of, but now that he's got this backcourt mate alongside uh, and, and he talks about being the backcourt mate of Chris Paul, he still defers in that way. I think that's a high level of respect that they both share for each other. Part of the reason why I believe this is going to work. What does that mean? Like, what does it mean to work? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it's such a weird season, all things considered, to to look at, you know, what the Suns' potential is moving forward. Uh, but I think that the impact Chris Paul has on Booker is palpable. I think his impact on Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, the guys I've already mentioned, taking these big steps uh, is also noticeable. Uh, and my hope is that, uh, you know, some of that impact will also wear off on the guy who should be his backup in campaign. And hopefully he can get healthy. I know he's out again tomorrow. Uh, and fortunately the Suns won't have to go up against Drew Holiday, who's out for the Bucks. But, you know, like we talked about, this is a situation you're going to every game. Teams are missing people. It just so happens that the Suns have been kind of going through a stretch where they've been missing a lot of guys that play. Uh, and if they can keep getting wins, uh, it could end up paying huge dividends when it's all said and done in, in April and May. John Bloom, great stuff as always. Enjoy hearing you on these broadcasts, and I'm just happy for you that you're getting to cover a good basketball team now. Well, it has been a long time, Luke, as you know, uh, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I think it's going to be even more fun as we continue to get more fans in the stands. Uh, can't wait to get your thoughts on the arena, get you in there. I know you've been going for years, too, so uh, it's, it's a really cool place, what they've done with it. The team obviously playing well helps. Uh, I have a resident rapper now on the Suns postgame show. Zane Zor is busting out victory raps after every win that we're playing it on the show. These are, these are the dreams. When you're a postgame show host, Luke, you know, you even go on a house band, which I've always joked about having a house band. We don't have that, but we got a house rapper. It's even better. Yeah, it is even better. It's just a party this year, and I'll absolutely come out and check out that arena whenever they'll let me in. Yes. All right. Yes. Thanks a lot, Bloomer. Do Good it. stuff, man. You bet, Luke. See you. All right, that's John Bloom checking in on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Coulter Cadillac Tempe, experience the difference. Visit CoulterCadillacTempe.com. Yeah, I mean, Bloom always brings energy to those broadcasts, and um, sometimes that's easier than others. And when the team is 14-9, that's a lot easier than when the team is struggling. And it, it feels real with this team this year. I mean, we've, we've expected it going into this season, and, and even talking about it then, it wasn't like, a, hey, let's talk ourselves into the Suns. It was like, nah. We all saw what they did in the bubble. We all saw them add Chris Paul. This team is is primed to be good, and they look good. And like I said, we're a third of the way through the season. It maybe doesn't feel like that yet, but we are. All right, when we come back, we're going to play a round of uh, Rough Draft. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, we did a round of this last week. New segment on the show, calling it Rough Drafts. We're going to go back and redo a draft. 
And we're going to try and base it on something that's going on right now. So we figured we're going to redo the top 10 picks, basically. And uh, we chose the 2013 NBA draft tonight since Giannis and the Bucks are here tomorrow. Not to give away the first pick, but um, yeah, let's give away the first pick. So This draft is so bad. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so bad. Yeah, let's... Um, so, to set the stage, the Suns had the fifth pick, and they took Alex Len. That's, that's This draft, if you're driving around right now and you're like, Why, how am I supposed to know what the 2013 draft is? Your reference point is the Suns had the fifth pick, and they took Alex Len out of Maryland. The number one pick was Anthony Bennett. Oof. I'd rather have <laughs> Alex Len. That's, that's gotta be, saying something. That's, Bennett's got to be the biggest number one overall pick because he's not even on a team no and he hasn't been yeah for a while and i remember i don't know how i remember talking to unlv's coach the year like the prior season and he was like anthony bennett like keep an eye on this guy and um i'm trying but it's hard because he must have said the same thing to the cavaliers (laughs) and they definitely bought bought it it. yeah uh yeah and this is another year where the Cavs just magically had the first pick so uh last week it was a year where lebron was gone, so they had the number one. <laughs> That's true. Um, so last week we did the 2017 NFL draft. That was the first time we've done this, and I think you picked first because you got to pick Mahomes. Yes. So I'm going first. Go tonight, ahead, because there's a huge drop. I wonder off. who you're going to pick. I'm going to take Giannis. He huh. uh, out of not a college. He went uh, <laughs> 15th overall to Milwaukee, but uh, yeah, I'm taking him number one overall in this. Okay. Um. <laughs> Two and three were kind of a toss-up for me. It drops off fast. Yeah, I'm not, gonna, not here yet. There's still good players here. I'm just going to go with the way I ranked them. Number two, C.J. McCollum. Okay. Good player. Yeah. Good player. McCollum went what? He went 10th to Portland? Yeah, something okay. like that. Out of Lehigh. He was really good in college. I don't know why I watched so much college basketball that year. A lot more then than I do now. Uh, okay. I guess with the third one. Here we go. Yeah, there's the like, drop off start. There's like there's like two guys here I like. Third pick, I will go with Rudy Gobert. Yeah, that's who I had to. Um, was he? I think he, he went in the first with the first pick of the second round. Or no, he went twenty seventh. Twenty seventh overall. Whew. This is what I hate about the NBA. I know I've talked about this before, but I have to sit here and looking at the actual draft say he went to Denver with the twenty seventh pick. I know he probably wore a Nuggets hat. Yeah, yeah, stupid. So yeah, um, Rudy, Rudy Gobert is going third. So so far, first three picks looks like a good draft, yes, right? Yes, I mean, it does. McCollum's really good. Gobert's very solid for what he does, and Giannis is the, the two-time reigning MVP of the league. All right, number four, I'm going to go with Victor Oladipo, who actually went second in this draft to the Orlando Magic. Yeah, Oladipo out of Indiana back when He's Indiana was good. He's still a good, good player. He is. He is. That would have been my pick right there. Yeah. Probably not worth the second. I mean, in this draft, that's, I mean, <laughs> in this draft, yeah. I mean, he might have been the second best player in it. I don't know, but how did fourteen players go ahead of Giannis? I don't know. That's I have no idea. That is yeah. And I mean, you can go back and look at this draft. Like the Suns taking Alex Len. There's certainly the, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know about your list. I guess we'll find out. But Alex Len is not on my list in the top ten. But he there is was not on my list. I'll <laughs> just give that away. There were some other missed picks. Okay, this is where it starts to get tougher. Yes. Still, some quality players, uh-huh. but not like guys you'd want to take in the top 10 of a draft. I'm going to go with the big guy out of New Zealand mm. and Pitt. I'm going to go with Stephen Adams, who went 12th overall to Oklahoma City in that draft. He's going to be pick number five for me. Yeah, he's 
he doesn't score very much, but he's still a really good rebounder, and he's very physical. He's a big dude. Um, there was a lot of hype around him in that draft, <laughs> but but not to the point where you would have thought he was going to be the fifth best player out of the draft. I am going to go... Uh, what are we at? Number six now? We're at six. So in theory, hold on for a second. So in theory, <laughs> the Suns picking fifth should have gotten Steven Adams. Sure. So, I mean, an upgrade over Alex Len, but not, yeah. not going to change not the course much. of history. Yeah. Not like the draft we did last week where <laughs> they could have, you know, had somebody. Amazing. Right. Uh, number six, I'm going to go with Dennis Schroeder. Okay. Who went 17th in this draft to the Atlanta Hawks. He's now on the Lakers. Probably going to win a title this year. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, he's would, a good point guard. He would go number one if we were doing this draft based on crazy hairstyles. <laughs> he would definitely be number yeah. one there. Yeah, Schroeder's yes, good. Uh, boy, this is where... Number I, s- I remember just, just randomly, I just scroll past the name. I remember I want in this draft, I really wanted the... Sons to draft Ben McLemore. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone was saying he's the next Kobe Bryant. He's the next Kobe Bryant. Blah 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 blah. Wow, that I that's he went seventh. <laughs> that's ridiculous. He went seventh, but yeah, I I remember being mad that they didn't draft him. Um, yeah, I would have been interested in McLemore at five. I did not think he was the next Kobe Bryant. Another guy that went I there. I heard that somewhere, and <laughs> it just got ingrained in my brain. <laughs> Probably from Ben McLemore. Yeah. Nerlens Noel was a guy in this draft. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get to him. Um, and he, I believe he was the top-ranked high school recruits when he he went to uh, to Kentucky. Uh, at number seven, I'm, I'm going to go with a guy that's not doing all that well this year, but okay. generally speaking in his career, he's been a good, like a really good defensive presence, does a little bit of everything. I'll go with Robert Covington. Oh, so I, he's wow. in this draft. Yeah, and now I can't find him. But <laughs> are I, you sure? There's no way I would have imagined Robert Covington being in this draft. Um, are you sure well, he's in this draft? Hold on, you talk for a second, and I will find him. I'm looking for him too. Why I don't see him. Draft? I saw him in this draft earlier. Okay, fine. Well, I'm not going to take a guy that <laughs> that wasn't. I don't see him, Luke. He was undrafted. That's why. Oh, wow. that yes. okay. That's fine. So that counts. that's fine. So that, in that go. case, it's a steal. I didn't even look at the undrafted people. You're getting an undrafted. Well, you know, I forgot about to peel them. back the curtain. You and I are in a fantasy basketball league, and this was the harsh reality that hit me during this draft. I'm looking through, and I'm like, man, this draft isn't that good. And then oh. I'm looking through, and I'm like, I have four of these guys on my fantasy basketball team. So what does that say about my team? <laughs> Seth Seth Curry was undrafted in this draft. Yeah, see there you go. Everyone's uh, all the Warriors' favorite player, uh, Rodney McRuder, was in this dra- undrafted in this draft. <laughs> okay, uh, number eight. You said we're on number eight, right? Yes. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Tim Hardaway Jr. Yeah. Don't know why. That's <laughs> no, a good pick. He really he has been. I mean, obviously you got to live up to the name of Tim Hardaway. It's not like he's sure. amazing. Yeah, yeah. But I did look up points per game. In their career, he's fifth in this draft. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Lest you think that Tim Hardaway Jr. was <laughs> a, a stretch for uh, with the Knicks at 24. Yeah. Yep. He's the Mavericks now. Yep. Yeah, All right, go ahead. He's averaged almost 14 games or 14 points a game. Number nine. Ugh, number nine is tough. Here we go. Boy. I don't even think I ranked these correctly. Well, there's no wrong answer here, right? I will say the top the top Besides four. Anthony Bennett. The top one we had the same. The top four we had the same. And and just the through the first eight, these are the guys I had in our first eight. So we've been on the same page. Okay. I'm gonna go with Mason Plumley. 
at That's nine. I, I had him ranked eighth because I I didn't even look at the undrafted players of Covington. That's that's this is where you know this was not a good basketball oh draft when you got God. a stretch and you're taking Mason Plumley at, uh, at he's he's uh, he was the twenty second pick of the drafts. Yeah, this is a brutal draft. Man, Milwaukee just talk about getting one up on everybody in the league. You get a two-time MVP in Giannis, and everybody else gets trash. <laughs> All right. Uh, number 10. Good luck. Uh, I had a few guys ranked here. Um, Kelly Olynyk, Trey Burke. But now that I've looked at the notable undrafted players... Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Seth Curry. Do it. It sounds like I'm, Steph Curry. I'm, so yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with Seth Curry. I mean, he's not, obviously he's not Steph. No one is. But he's still a pretty good shooter. He yeah. can shoot the three. Uh, he could be a guy that stretches the floor for you if you need a bunch of shooters. So, yeah, why not? He, Seth, Seth Curry. He started his career slow, and he is symbolic of how thin this draft was. Because typically when you do a redraft and you're like, okay, this is like... This is the ultimate version of this draft. With all due respect to Seth Curry, you wouldn't expect him to be the 10th pick in the draft, but I I agree with you. I mean, the other names, who are you even debating? Like you said, Trey Burke. um, Mm -hmm. Cody Zeller's been okay this year. (laughs) By the way, former Phoenix Sun Seth Curry. That's true. Continuing the trend of where the Suns get the worst of the brothers. <laughs> I leave it. What was Blake Griffin's brother's name? Taylor. Taylor Griffin. Taylor yeah, Griffin, him, Robin yeah. Lopez. They ended up with both Morris twins. Which was a mistake which twice. Was mis- yeah. They got the, the somehow got the bad but twin. But they, they drafted the bad one first. Yes. Because Marcus is better than Markeith. He is. But I think he also hates Phoenix more than Markeith. Yes. Um, yeah, this draft went Bennett number one, Oladipo two, Otto Porter third, Cody Zeller four, Alex Len five. They did at one time too. Remember, have both Dragic brothers, <laughs> Goron and Zoran. <laughs> yes. Heck yeah, oh, boy. Zoran I'm, I'm Dragic. So happy that the Suns are the team they are now and not what they've been for the last. Thank 10 you, years. Chris Paul, and not the, thank you, Monty Williams. A thank reminder, you, James Jones. That picking top five does not always uh, doesn't always help you. We saw that time and time again with the Suns team. Thank you, Devin Booker. Yes, uh, you'll have a draft like this where you're just not getting much after the top three or four. All right, that was rough draft. We'll do it again next week. I don't know what uh, sport or uh, year, but uh, yeah, that worked out pretty well. All right, when we come back, hour number two of the show begins with the reload. Next, it's the rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the show, live from the Akchin Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher behind the glass. Boy, I'm, I'm rattled by how bad the 2013 NBA draft was, which is not something I thought I would say today when I woke up. But, uh, yeah. Thanks, Giannis. You're the reason we did that draft, because uh, you're here tomorrow. But, um... Phoenix Suns have won six of their last seven. They've won three in a row following that 119-113 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers last night. Devin Booker coming up big, 36 points, eight assists. He was asked after the game what he said to his team to get them ready for that one. I mean, every guy is different, um, so you have to approach them different ways to see what motivates them. But like I said, we have a common theme in here, and it's win basketball games um, at all costs. You know, so I wouldn't discredit myself. You know, I'm crediting Chris, Jay, even the guys that aren't playing campaign 
very vocal out there, Dario. So, you know, I think it's a collective atmosphere around where, you know, it's kind of domino effect. Um, and everybody trusts each other. Like I said, there's, there's no egos around here. A lot, of, a lot of great guys that are willing to work and willing to sacrifice you know, for our team to win. Yeah, missing a lot of guys last night. And like I said, Cleveland is not – like they're still the Cavs. Nobody's looking at Cleveland and being like, look out in the Eastern Conference because they're coming. Nobody's thinking that. And they're obviously in rebuild mode because they went out and traded for Jared Allen when their best player is Andre Drummond. They got to build a little bit of a decent backcourt. The Cavs are 10 and 15. They are a team that can catch you if you don't show up to the game. And when you're missing as many players as the Suns were last night, you're missing Chris Paul and Campaign and Dario Saric and Jay Crowder. You're missing all these guys. That's that's the sort of night a team like Cleveland could catch you. Uh, the Cavs have two wins over Brooklyn this year. I mean, they've beat Memphis. Um, they beat Atlanta early in the year when Atlanta was playing pretty good. They beat Philadelphia. So they're not like a bad team, but they are five games below 500 in the Eastern Conference, so they are a team you should be able to beat. How about DeAndre Ayton talking about getting a win despite missing a good chunk of their team last night? Still got to get the job done. I mean, it don't matter whether I'm, I'm missing or... I mean, you've seen the perfect example. When I was suspended, You still the show must go on, you know? No matter who's there, you know? You just got to show it has to go on. We still have to come and compete. We can't feel sorry for ourselves. We know what to do. We know what we got to do. It's first unit and second unit know what to do. And that's what this team has, and that's what we bring towards this game. <laughs> got to love DeAndre Ayton. Most guys, when they get suspended, they like don't ever want to talk about it again, and it's kind of like, I don't bring that up around him. He just brings it up casually in conversation. Hey, remember when I was suspended last year? Well, look how the team stepped up. Uh, Ayton, is a, uh, he's a different kind of guy. Over to hockey. The Arizona Coyotes have also won three in a row, and what's different for them is they've all been over the same team, and that team is a pretty good team. The Blues came into this, (laughs) what was supposed to be a two-game series, turned into a four, and then a six, and now a seven-game series, and the Coyotes have won the three of the first four. They've won the most recent three. Going into those three, St. Louis was seven, two, and one, right there at the top of the NHL. Of course, the Blues won the Stanley Cup two seasons ago. The Coyotes have found different ways to beat them. Last night, dramatic fashion, scoring with less than a second to go to tie it, send it to overtime. It was, just, it was a crazy sequence at the end because Clayton Keller scored with seven-tenths of a second to send it into overtime. But Clayton Keller has been very up and down this season. He tends to play his best hockey against St. Louis. He's from the area. So I'm sure he's loving seven straight against the Blues because it has gotten him going. But with 225 trailing by a goal he took a penalty so you figure okay well they're going to play the next two minutes shorthanded but instead they drew a penalty and they drew another one but they got one it was just going back and forth they pull their goalie they score with uh, seven tenths of a second they come back win in the shootout and yeah in case you missed it another game against st louis was scheduled earlier today for this friday over to major league baseball bear i know this is a, a hot topic with you um, we have some of the rules that are set up for this uh, this upcoming season. So I want to get your feeling on this. No expanded playoffs. No universal DH. Yes to seven inning doubleheaders and runners starting on second in extra innings. Okay. I hate. <laughs> I figured we were going to start there. I hate the uh, runner on second base to start extra innings. I think that's dumb. Yeah, um, I don't get that one. That just feels like... Little League to me. Even um, if you're going to do it, maybe push it to like the 12th or something. Yeah, like, okay, we're in the 15th. Okay. Yeah. Like, but 
come on. So, like, in this uh, a seven-inning doubleheader, so in the eighth inning, we're going to have runners on second base? Okay, yeah. cool. Um, I don't mind the doubleheader thing. I get it. It's trying to get guys out of the building or whatever as soon as possible. That's fine. I'm not opposed to it. Um, I'm also not... I like the DH. I, I think that's kind of where it's going to go anyway when the CBA opens up and they renegotiate a new uh, agreement. Um, but I'm okay that the National League's not going to have a DH. I think that decision should have come way sooner because now teams are reporting for spring training and they are maybe like, okay, well, if we have a DH, we might want to sign this guy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Anyway, even though there's not that many DHs around anymore, no, Nelson Cruz, Edward Encarnacion, there's, there's a select few. There's no Edgar Martinez or David Ortiz really anymore. Yeah. Um, what, was the, uh, what was the other one? The other one was um, no expanded playoffs. Oh, I'm fine with that. I thought the I think the expanded playoffs kind of makes it like irrelevant if you're the number one seed because you still have to play. Like, yeah, the Dodgers like think about the like the Dodgers who are one of the, like the, the best team in baseball. Anything can happen in baseball in a three game series. Come on, it's just two wins you got to get. So that's that's what was so remarkable to me because I agree with you. There, there needs to be some sort of separation, especially if they're going to play. You know, sixty game season is one thing. You're going to play a much longer season. You got to get something for being the number one seed as opposed to being the eighth seed in your yeah. in your league. But it was remarkable last year that it was Dodgers over the race, the yeah. two number one seeds. Like yep. you wouldn't, it, it wouldn't happen that way consistently. Yeah, the only thing I just can't get behind is the runner on second base to start extra innings. It just doesn't doesn't feel like professional baseball to me. Especially because baseball for the longest time was like we're no, we're not going to do anything that might alter the the record books. And you know now you're just every every relief pitcher is just coming in with a guy on second. Uh, baseball is just being so stat driven for all these years. How about the report that they're going to deaden? Quote air quotes here, deaden the baseball. They're going to change, even though they're like, the baseball isn't juiced. These guys are just good at hitting home runs that go up 500 feet. Suddenly better than they were like three now years ago. Now all of a sudden ago. they're like, yeah, they're, they're, they're juiced. Yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, just, we juice we're them. gonna unjuice the we're baseball. We're gonna unjuice them. I'm surprised they yeah. I'm surprised that that would even be put out there. You know, like maybe just the numbers go somebody down. Somebody talk to somebody. Somebody always talks. Uh, over to the NFL. Patrick Mahomes having surgery tomorrow on his toe. So, you know, it it was it was almost unsettling watching Patrick Mahomes not look good in the Super Bowl, wasn't it? And it and it wasn't his fault. And I'm not I'm not blaming the injury, although that that is an injury that that can that can mess with you. His toe can't block for no. him. So I mean, that's the thing. And his, his maybe he could do a better job. I don't know. <laughs> that's but. true. He should have tied, tried his toe blocking than some of the guys they had on that line. But also when he's diving sideways and just chucking passes that are hitting Tyreek Hill in the face, or even Travis Kelsey is dropping a pass. Like you could tell pretty early in that game, this might not be Patrick Mahomes' day because he's he's beat up. He's playing behind an awful offensive line because they were so beat up. And his receivers that are normally reliable weren't catching anything. Uh, and finally, college basketball. As it stands, ASU in line to play Oregon on Thursday. Bobby Hurley had this to say about why his team has missed the last few games when he was on with Doug and Wolf this morning. Yeah, we, we had three cases. So, uh, you know, with, with that uh, and then contact tracing, actually when I was on the call with you guys, that, that process was just beginning, you know, with our doctors. So, um you know, luckily we had a small group that we were able to work with on Friday. 
and then Saturday. Um, and then uh, we had our first full practice yesterday. So everyone uh, has returned minus, you know, the three cases. And, and none of those guys uh, were, were symptomatic. Yeah, so uh, ideally, ASU will be able to get back on the court uh, for a game on Thursday against Oregon. All right, I mentioned the Coyotes when we come back. We're going to talk a little hockey with Craig Morgan, get his thoughts on what he has seen from this team through their first 12 games. And feels like they've all been against St. Louis and Vegas. Well, that's because they have been. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Arizona's Sports Station. Luke Lipinski, back here with you. The uh, Coyotes mentioned it last um, last segment there. Seven straight now against the St. Louis Blues. They've played three. It is it is crazy if you look at the schedule. I, I heard Burns and Gambo talking about it earlier. Gambo's like, it's just fascinating because we've never really seen a schedule like this in, in any of the major sports. And I give both the Coyotes and Blues a lot of credit for being you know flexible and adjusting on the fly. But by the time this series ends, assuming they don't add that eighth game, I mean, the Coyotes still have an eighth game against St. Louis that they are supposed to play later on this season. Right now it's scheduled for April 17th. And every every game right now is is scheduled in pairs. So you would think they would have liked to have moved two more games and had them play eight in a row against the Blues. But they only had room to fit the one. So if you missed it, the Coyotes are going to play the Blues on Friday now, too. And then Saturday. And then Monday of, uh, of next week. That will be seven straight. So by the time we get to, through those games, the Coyotes will have played 15 this season. And... 11 of the 15 will have been against St. Louis and Vegas. Arguably the two, I don't know, two of the top five teams in the NHL. I'm not even sure that's arguable. I think they are two of the top five teams. Probably the top teams in this division with the exception of Colorado. So they're getting a test here early. And they're really, the thing about this Coyotes team is they have gotten better as each of these series has gone on. They played San Jose twice to begin the year. They won the second game. Played Vegas four straight. They were much better in games three and four. They were decent in game one, too, but much better in three and four. Anaheim could have won the first one, did win the second one. St. Louis lost the first one. They've won three straight. It's a good sign when your team is is getting better the more they face these teams, especially because you know, there's going to be all the adjusting back and forth over the course of a two or a four, in this case, seven-game series. But especially when you look at the caliber of teams the Coyotes have played. The, the Clayton Keller goal last night, for them to score a late goal in a game, it's just it's not something they typically have done. You know, and, and you don't see a lot of buzzer beaters in hockey anyway. But when you you do see them in a Coyotes game, they seem to have gone against the Coyotes pretty consistently in the past. And they get that one there. They've they've played they've played much better six on five this season than they have the last couple of years under Rick Tockett. And I give Rick Tockett a ton of credit. Like I'm sitting here talking about this being a very promising start to the season for the Coyotes, not just because they've won three straight over St. Louis, because you're going to have winning and losing streaks over the course of the year. But the way they've looked, 11 of these 12 games they've played well, and that's, that's Rick Tockett. He's got the penalty kill. On the road is the best in the NHL. They've killed off, it was at one point, 24 of 25. It's it's St. Louis did score last night. He's got, and, and there's a lot of new faces on that penalty kill. But he's also got just a, a lot of good role players doing what they're supposed to do. And then the core that you've built this team around, 
Christian Dvorak leading the team in goals, a big uh, weapon in the faceoff circle. You've got Connor Garland, who I don't think they necessarily plan to build around, but to me, he's their best player at this point. And he's just he's evolved his game so much in each of the years he's been in the league, and he's there are moments where you can see other teams just like, wait, I'm tired of chasing this guy around. Jacob Chikrin has, has stepped into that number one defenseman role with Oliver ekman Larson out. That's what's most encouraging if you are a hockey fan here in the Valley, is that team is getting better because the the guys they've drafted and held on to have been getting better, and it's it's all sort of coming together this season. Of course, the goaltending, and we're going to see that again this weekend because now they have games on Friday and Saturday, so they can, in theory, go with Kemper, one of those, and uh, and Antiranta and the other one. And, and you know, even a team like St. Louis that just won the Cup, they can go with Jordan Bennington, one of those games, and he's very good. And they can go with Vili Husso, who started three career games in the other one. Most teams don't have two number one goalies they can lean on. Yeah, I brought this up earlier, but I want to get a little bit deeper into it here. The ringer rankings going through the power rankings for next season in the NFL. And they acknowledge, way too early to do this, but is it really? It's the NFL. They've got Tampa Bay 1, they've got Kansas City 2, whatever. You can have them in either order. We talked about the uh, the Super Bowl odds earlier in, uh, in uh, yesterday, I guess, because the Super Bowl was only two days ago. And they had Vegas has Kansas City 1 and Tampa Bay 2. But either way, those are the teams, right? The Ringers got Buffalo 3. They've got the Packers 4. You start to go down the list and you get to the Arizona Cardinals at 16. And it's a subjective thing. I get that. But what stands out, this isn't, it's not something we don't realize here, but it, it pretty succinctly summarizes the offseason that's coming up and why it is so important. And I know we say that every year about the Cardinals, but it is. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a team that's trying to build your way up or a couple years ago rebuild, the offseasons are just so pivotal in the NFL. This offseason isn't pivotal for the Chiefs or the Buccaneers. But look at the Buccaneers last year. They completely built that team last offseason. Uh, what, what stands out is they bring up specifically the defense. And they talk about how that defense finished 10th in DVOA. But look at the free agents. Patrick Peterson, Drake Kirkpatrick, Devondre Campbell, Hassan Reddick, Marcus Golden. You're not going to be able to bring all those guys back. That's where it gets it gets complicated as far as a guy like Kenyon Drake or you know Fitz wants to come back you welcome him back with open arms because he's Larry Fitzgerald and he can still contribute but can you pay him as much as you've been paying him because you're 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 not asking him to be the number one receiver and hopefully you're not asking him to be the number two receiver either. This isn't baseball where you can just keep throwing money at, uh, at, at as many players as you want, and you can be the Dodgers, and you can have a super team, and then go out and get Trevor Bauer. There's a cap. And so if, if, you're, if you're looking at all these guys that played fairly significant roles, I mean, it varies. But Hassan Reddick played a very significant role last year. Patrick Peterson still played a significant role in this team. Kirkpatrick, Campbell, Golden, all these guys on defense, you're not going to be able to keep them all. And... If you keep a lot of them, you're not going to be able to pay Kenyon Drake, which I don't think is a bad thing. I don't think you can really pay him anyway. If he wants to take a salary hit and come back, okay, he's not bad. But 
in the NFL in 2021, I just don't know how you can be paying a running back as much as they paid Kenyon Drake this past season, unless that guy is Derrick Henry. And even then, it's typically a guy you drafted. You're not going to go out and pay a lot of money for a running back somebody else drafted because the shelf life is just, it's unfair, but it's just, it's it's too short in the NFL at that position. So the Cardinals got a lot of work to do. And uh, brought this up earlier, but ESPN has their story up. They do this every year right after the Super Bowl. The top 50 NFL free agents for this upcoming offseason and which team they fit on best. And they start it with Dak Prescott, and they say flat out. They have his best fit with Carolina, but they're like, he's not going to Carolina. Like, Dallas is keeping Dak Prescott. But they go through this whole list, and for a team like the Cardinals that needs so many players, they don't have one guy on this list that's like, oh, this guy's the his best fit is the Arizona Cardinals. There's a lot of guys off this list I would take. Now, I know they can't afford them all, and they probably can't afford anybody towards the top of the list. I'll take Allen Robinson. I'll take Kenny Galladay. I'll take Bud Dupree. I mean, there's a lot of players. I'll take Brandon Scherf. Take Trent Williams, for sure. Now, these guys are all towards the top of the list. They're not going to be able to afford any of them. But you start to get a little bit lower, and and the Cardinals are going to have to address some of these positions. Where they have the Cardinals players that they see potentially going elsewhere. They have Hassan Reddick at 24. They say his best fit is Denver. And they have Patrick Peterson at 31. And they have Peterson, uh, his best fit being the Las Vegas Raiders. As I mentioned earlier in the show, the thing with Patrick Peterson when you're evaluating him, and the Cardinals got to be brutally honest with themselves, not just about what Patrick Peterson is now compared to what he used to be, but about where they are as an organization. You'll drive yourself crazy comparing Patrick Peterson or any great player in the latter stages of his career to himself in his prime. Is 2021 Patrick Peterson going to be the guy that he was in 2016? No. And it's going to be obvious because he plays cornerback in the NFL. It's There's not really a position where it is more obvious unless you're talking about like quarterback. But they have such a longer shelf life. But is 2021 Patrick Peterson going to be better than the other free agents that the Cardinals could sign at that position? Like, I'm going through this list of the top 50 just as like a reference point. And they have Patrick Peterson at 31. They don't have a lot of corners ahead of him. So <laughs> it's it's not like there's these amazing group of affordable players at that position. They have... Yeah, I mean, they've got Peterson right there. They've got Desmond King at 26. Are you are you excited about Desmond King? Jack Griffin? I mean, you're going to have to pay for these guys. They have him at 28. That's not that far ahead of Patrick Peterson. Again, it's subjective, but it also kind of gives you some uh, some some reference points, and some context to look and say like, oh yeah, that's uh yeah, he's not 2016 Peterson, but he's might be better than whatever else is out there. He- you mentioned Dak Prescott before. Did you see today the Cowboys are getting roasted because they released a, it's like a 35 second or so hype video. Yeah. And Dak Prescott's not in it. <laughs> what are they doing? They got C.D. Lamb in there. I think Ezekiel Elliott and some guys that haven't played on their team for years like Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman, but oh, good. no Dak. Yeah, he's uh, he was having, you know, there was a, a time early this season where people were like, hey, Dallas could be like a, a team to come out of the NFC. 
Dak went down at They all. wouldn't have needed oh, much to win that division. No, no. But uh, there were people that started the season like going in saying they might be the like Kansas City light in the NFC, and they were Kansas State light. I mean, they were just they were horrendous. All right, we come back. We'll hear from Kurt Warner. Get his thoughts on the, the Super Bowl and the future of the Cardinals. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, well, we mentioned it earlier in the show, Kyler Murray retweeting a couple tweets that indicate, hey, you know, uh, offensive line is important in the NFL. They just kind of subtly just toss ask, ask Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in case you didn't realize how important offensive line is, feel free to rewatch the Super Bowl from two days ago, which was unwatchable, so don't rewatch. If you have negative things to do, go ahead and watch it. Did you see, I'm sure you saw that stat, where Patrick Mahomes ran 500 yards to get away from pressure? <laughs> Did those count on the prop bets? <laughs> Patrick Mahomes will have to scramble for 500 yards. Dude, that yards. was the... We didn't really talk about this, but uh-uh. that was the most boring Super Bowl that I can remember. It reminded me a lot of the Broncos-Seahawks yep. Super Bowl, where it was just never a game at all. As soon as that ball went over Peyton Manning's head into the end zone, you're like, oh, cool. That That's the only other one I could think of. And that Super Bowl, I had driven to a Super Bowl party with a couple friends, but the Super Bowl party was in San Diego. So there was like some... That's investment there. <laughs> yeah. And then the Super Bowl was over two plays in or whatever. And we're like, all right, let's watch a replay of the Arena Bowl. I was still in school, and we went to the First Amendment Forum in Cronkite's building. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they had it on the big projector there, and they had food and everything. It was really, it was a cool Super Bowl gathering, but yeah. the game was terrible. It was awful. But that one on Sunday was more disappointing to me, and I, I, I didn't care who won, but it was just, the first half was just, it was just lame. Like, it was just, I the said Commercials this, weren't even good. They were better than the game, though. But, I mean, I said this on Friday. If Brady's going to, if Tampa's going to win and Brady's going to get all the hype again for getting his seventh ring, I at least wanted it to be, like, a, an amazing Mahomes-Brady back and forth, but Brady you shows he's better at the amazing moment. Yeah. And it never happened. The moment, and maybe this is unfair, but the moment, like, you know how every Super Bowl there's like, oh, that's the moment that stands out. For me, the moment that stands out is Tyron Matthew intercepting Tom Brady and getting called back, and I still don't know why. The <laughs> moment for me was Patrick Mahomes uh, hovering above the ground completely horizontal and still throwing a complete strike yeah. into the end zone and having it bounce off his receiver's head. <laughs> his receivers just really let him oh. down. There is a good clip of that on Twitter. I just saw it, of uh, the Tampa Bay receivers reacting to Mahomes' throw. Cause it's Some just- of those... Incomplete passes that he made. The other one where he's being spun around and dragged to the ground, and he throws in the end zone. It's a complete, like, not a dart, but it's right exactly yeah. where the ball needed to be. It's insane. I, I know that. I, I know this sounds ridiculous to say. I still think he's a better quarterback than Tom Brady. Like, but I mean, Brady's got seven times as many rings, so Mahomes is never catching him in that regard. I said this last week. I thought if Mahomes won on Sunday, if the Chiefs won, if Mahomes got to like four rings in his career, if he's within like two of Brady, but he had beat him head to head in the Super Bowl and he was and he just as watching the games, passing the eye test, he makes plays like that, you could have made the case that he's you know five, six, seven, eight, nine years from now that he's the greatest quarterback. Now, I mean, <laughs> no drama, just like that game, which was awful. But that wasn't what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about Russell Wilson, 
who had this to say. This is on the Dan Patrick show. Maybe a little, a little drama in Seattle. Yeah, I definitely believe the guy in calls for sure. I didn't think that, uh, you know, I think anytime you're, um, you know, you know, uh, a player that, you know, tries to produce every week and has done it for, you know, consistently, I think people are going to call for sure. And I think it's part of the process. Yeah, but you're a franchise quarterback. You're a Hall of Fame quarterback. You're not available, are you? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm available or not. That's a, that's a Seahawks question. <laughs> yeah, so he's talking about the NFL Network report that multiple teams had called the Seahawks about, hey, can we trade for Russell Wilson? Uh, and ESPN's Jeremy Fowler said that the Seahawks are like, no. And, and I don't know why yes, Seattle would Yes, if you'd like to him. give us your firstborn child and your next three first-round draft picks. <laughs> would Here's one. Would the Seahawks trade Russell Wilson? They wouldn't. I already know the answer. For would, Deshaun Watson? Yeah. <laughs> it just, oh. I mean, you you say you get, what, another seven years? I believe Deshaun Watson's seven years younger, yeah. maybe six. But, and Wilson's got three years left on his contract, and he's 32. Yeah. But we're seeing the quarterbacks can play at a high level into their 40s now. And Seahawks fans. Yeah, Tom fans, Brady's pretty much thrown the age thing out the window. Yeah, yeah. And Seahawks fans, I think, would riot in the streets if they traded Russell Wilson away, even if it was for Deshaun Watson. But so there's that angle to it. But then there's also Russell Wilson being like, um, you know, maybe we can, uh, we can fix this team around me a little bit. Are you involved in personnel decisions? Have you been involved in personnel decisions? Not, not as much. I don't, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for, do you for me, want to be involved Russ? Yeah, I, I think it helps. I think it helps to, to, to be involved more. Um, but I think that's that dialogue should, should happen more often in my opinion. Yeah. So this is, this is the age old debate, right? Do you let a player have input when you're making moves and you're going out and making trades or signing free agents? I don't think you let a player have input at the draft, but, um, just looking locally, I mean, I think the only two players on any of the teams you would say maybe this guy should have some input would be Devin Booker and Kyler Murray, right? There's, no, I don't think there's a third one in in the Valley that you would say, oh no, he should have input. I mean, you're not gonna Cattell Marte is great. You're not gonna go to him and be like, hey, uh, Cattell, you're gonna decide who we bring in. But even of those two, with Booker and Kyler, I really only think Booker should have input because a, you want to make sure you keep him here, and b. It's just different in basketball. I don't want Kyler Murray telling me that I need to draft an offensive lineman if we're desperate for help on defense. Kyler's not scouting all these games. He's not watching the defense. It's not his job. Whereas in basketball, it's like, hey, Devin, this is a guy you're going to be playing with 40 minutes a night. And if if you don't like him, you're going to want to leave. <laughs> that, to me, has a little more uh, weight to it. Here's one more from Russell Wilson. For me personally, I, you know, I think that I want to be able to ha- be involved because at the end of the day, it's your legacy. It's your team's legacy. It's, you know, it's the guys you get to go into the huddle with. And at the end of the day, those guys, you got to trust, you know, when you think about, you know, one of the reasons why Tom went to Tampa was because he, he felt like he could trust those guys and Bruce was going to give him an opportunity. I think, I think for, you know, every situation, you have to be able to go into a situation, you know, you think about guys like LeBron, he was able to, you know, be around great players that he can trust. I think for for me, you know, uh, anytime you bring free agents in, you know, are the players, you want the best players, guys who love the game, guys you want to be a part of that. And as a player, you kind of know that. You get to be around Pro Bowls. You get to kind of see these guys. You get to be in the huddle with the linemen or, or receivers or, you know, um, get to be around defensive guys. And so you kind of you build that over time and get to see who can really play. 
He did double down in a Zoom call with the media later and just pointed out, like, I'm, I like to be hit a little bit less. <laughs> he was sacked 47 times last season. Only Carson, Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson were sacked more. And Russell Wilson's been sacked 394 times in 144 regular season career games. That's the most by any quarterback since the merger in 1970. So Russell Wilson, he... You watch the Seahawks, you look at stats like that, and you realize how much he masks with that team. They haven't done a great job of putting a lot of good pieces around him. They've put some. I mean, obviously they won a Super Bowl and they've they've been to another. But there are a lot of years in there where it's like, oh, yeah, Russell just get him to the playoffs. And he does. Like, Do you think Russell Wilson ends his career with the Seahawks, Bear? I think so, yeah. You do? Yeah. Because that might be 10 years from now. I, that's crazy to think. Yeah, well, if he's getting the hit the way he is, who knows? Yeah, that's but true. It might be. Maybe that's what he's saying. Hey, if you want me to play as for if play here as long as Tom Brady has been playing, you want me to play? Uh, you want me to be a Seahawk till I'm 45 years old? I can't keep getting sacked like this. It is interesting that he threw Tom Brady's name out there and not just like, oh, I'm chasing Tom Brady's records. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> LeBron who changes teams every like three years now. Um, yeah. And decides who they draft and who they sign and everything and who they trade away, Lonzo Ball. There there are definitely years where LeBron's been on a team and, and you're like, I'm not. If we did that trivia Tuesday on ArizonaSports.com of who coached LeBron each year, there are definitely years where you're like, I don't remember who the coach was because I never saw him. It was LeBron calling timeout and yelling at his teammates and drawing up plays and making plays. All right, it's going to do it for us here tonight. Thanks to Cody Fincher behind the glass. Thanks to John Bloom for calling in. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Luke Lipinski. This is The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.